There's a big Victorian-style home in the city of Glens Falls. That's where I meet James Bonet. He rents an apartment upstairs. Good to meet you. I'm nice Emily. Nice to meet you as well. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Heck yeah. Um, so my- Bonet is in his early 30s. He's got a scruffy brown beard and is wearing a pair of big clear frame glasses. I was on speakerphone for this interview. Hey, James. Nice to meet you. I'm, I'm Zach. Hello, Zach. Are you okay if we just sit outside? Is that yeah, all right? that's cool. We take a seat in the plastic Adirondack chairs on the porch. Why are you doing this interview, I wonder? I just want to be known that I did stand up to this. This period of time that not a lot of people were standing up, I was one of them. The period of time he's talking about was early 2021, just days before the presidential election was certified. Bonet was a shift manager at the Five Guys in Saratoga Springs. On January 5th, he got off work late. Usually he'd head home, get some sleep. On this night, he had a decision to make. Either do that or drive seven hours overnight to Washington, D.C. I was like, I was teeter-tottering. I'm like, am I not? I'm like, nah, I shouldn't. And then it's like, it's a long drive. I'm like, you know what? You only live once. Let's, like, let's experience this bitch, essentially. <laughs> Bonet was convinced the election had been stolen from President Donald Trump. And Trump was going to give a big speech. Bonet wanted to be there. He wanted answers. Bonet got into D.C. the morning of January 6th. He took a quick nap in his car. Then he made his way towards the ellipse in front of the White House. We're gathered together in the heart of our nation's capital for one very, very basic and simple reason, to save our democracy. Why was it important for you to make that trip? Because he's our commander-in-chief, and he takes an oath to protect the Constitution. To uphold our Constitution. So when we have a serious matter like that, I think it's important for anyone to listen to the commander-in-chief and what he has to say, because he's probably going to say some things that are important. I said, something's wrong here, something's really wrong, can't have happened, and we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Bonet was in a crowd of thousands. People were waving American flags and Trump flags. He listened as the president said again and again that the election was stolen, which was a lie. A lot of Trump's false claims had already fallen apart in court. Even his own team had debunked some of them. But the president refused to give in. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. Everyone was heading down to the Capitol. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to head down and just see what's up. It was just surrounded by so many people. And then, like, they were, like, throwing tear gas at us and things like that. Bonet told us he wasn't armed and thought he was joining a peaceful protest. He was in a beanie and a tie-dye hoodie. But there were others in the crowd wearing tactical vests and ballistic helmets. Some people had Confederate flags and QAnon flags. And some were armed with pepper spray, baseball bats, and stun guns. They were all headed for the Capitol. In the crowd that day were members of far-right groups like the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, who have a history of violence. In a hotel nearby, members of the Oath Keepers were on standby with a huge cache of weapons. 
January 6 was the biggest attack on the U.S. Capitol since the 1800s, and Bonet was part of it. He went into the building. He says he just got swept up in the action. It kind of just happened, essentially. I wasn't trying to overthrow anything. The fact that the cops let us in, it just... They did try to stop the group. Mm, no, they didn't. You, like I said, you weren't there, you know what I mean? We'll get more into what James Bonet did that day later in this episode. Bonet turned himself in three weeks after January 6th. Some of his co-workers had reported him to the FBI. He ultimately pleaded guilty to illegally entering the Capitol. He served about two and a half months in federal prison. We weren't sure what to expect from this interview. We read the documents from Bonet's trial, and at least on paper, it seemed like he had regrets about January 6th, like his experience was a wake-up call. But that really wasn't the case. He sees what he did on January 6th as his patriotic duty. He compared himself to the founding fathers during the American Revolution. And today, Bonet is still convinced that there's a corrupt deep state pulling the strings, that the 2020 election was stolen. We pushed back on that. We told him the election was not stolen. But Bonet had explanations for everything. I'm seeing, um, I'm just like doing a little bit of like digging and research back here on the back end. And, and, like, and you're also looking okay. on Google, right? That hides their search results too. So like that's, like, you know what I mean? And like, it is what it is. Listen, when the truth comes out, I'm just saying like, you're gonna be like, how did you know? I know because I looked into it. Being in January 6th and being in there, there's a lot of people like me that we know the election was stolen. They thought it was their duty as citizens to stop the count. You can't understand that moment without understanding conspiracy theories. January 6th matters today and it will matter 10 years from now because it asked us to wake up and look at the reality of polarization in our country. James Bonet believed in a lie and went to federal prison for it. We wanted to know how someone goes down a rabbit hole and emerges fully convinced of false conspiracies. And what the danger is, knowing there are so many people like him, people who vote on things that just aren't true and may act when called upon. This is If All Else Fails from North Country Public Radio. I'm Emily Russell. And I'm Zach Hirsch. When we met James Bonet, we were straight with him. I mean, like, you can probably hear in our questions, our story, it's, it's probably going to be pretty skeptical, you know, some of the things you've been telling us. Um, we told him we'd be fact-checking him on all his claims. And he said he was open to that. Are you open to some skepticism? Heck yeah, I am. Of course I am. We spent months digging into the far right, looking into organized groups and militias, law enforcement leaders. But most of the people on the far right are regular guys like James Bonet, people who aren't part of a group, who are mostly just binging videos and scrolling on their phones. We really wanted to know how people like Bonet come to believe in this stuff, how those beliefs led Bonet all the way down to D.C. and into the Capitol on January 6th. And beyond January 6, how he came to embrace an alternate reality. So as we sat on his porch in Glens Falls, we went back to the beginning. So tell me about, you know, when you started becoming 
just aware of politics. What was your political leaning when you first started voting and being active? I guess I always leaned left. Um, I've, I was like a Bernie bro, and then, I don't know, just a bunch of stuff happened. Like, I used to be like 300 pounds, so I like I lost weight. I lost like a bunch of weight, and I realized that like what they're telling you what to eat is pretty much BS. So I figured if it's just basically if they're lying to you about what you're eating, then what else are you lying to you about? It just led me down this rabbit hole. Bonet's weight loss journey was kind of the start of his transformation, his shift away from trusting mainstream science, the government, and the media. He says he started listening to a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of people that are speaking out. They just get censored. You just got to know where to go. Bonet started listening to shows like the X-22 Report. So I think Trump, he needed the people to wake up. He needed the people to break out of the brainwashing. And the only way to do this is to show the people. There's lizard people everywhere. And a podcast called Tinfoil Hat. These shootings, you can always tell it's a conspiracy because the powerful always end up with more money, more power every time. It never goes the other way. They're never at a place um, where talking about climate change. Climate, thank you, Kay. And another show called Nino's Corner. There's climate change, but it's engineered. Everything that you're being told is a fucking lie. It's all engineered, and it's time to wake up. Wake the fuck up. One of the biggest lies in Bonet's mind was about the 2020 election. Donald Trump losing to Joe Biden, it just didn't add up. You look at Pennsylvania, more dead people voted in Pennsylvania than that are buried in Gettysburg. You look at 2,000 mules and then things like that that's happened, like there is irregularities in the election. Bonet is throwing out all kinds of references here, so let's go through them one at a time. The claim that tens of thousands of dead people voted in Pennsylvania State election officials found no evidence of that. The 2,000 Mules P references, that was a conspiracy film that claimed to show widespread voter fraud. But that film has been widely debunked. All of these conspiracy theories went viral on social media, and all of them are, are very easily refutable. That's Pete kurtz Clovis. He's from the Polarization and Extremism Research and Innovation Lab at American University. That lab focuses on preventing violent extremism. Throughout our interview with Bonet, he bounced around a lot. He always had another data point or a theory, and it was hard to keep up. kurtz Clovis says that's just how a lot of conspiracy theorists talk. It, it is very common for people who hold these beliefs to overwhelm the listener or the person that they're talking to with data points, with air quotes, facts, and with evidence that they have spent hours absorbing. Kurtz Glovis says people consumed a lot more of that kind of stuff during the pandemic. A lot of people were stuck at home. Many turned to podcasters and YouTubers for company. And remember, the 2020 presidential campaign was happening at the same time. Donald Trump was saying for months that everything was rigged against him. And when he lost the election, people wanted answers. Far-right talk show hosts said they had those answers. They had some kind of secret knowledge about what really happened. Kurtz Glovis says that is how they lure many listeners in. Look, you're not going to get this from anybody else because they're all lying to you. But... I have this little piece of information that's going to blow your mind. 
And the reason why that attracts people is because it's compelling. It's exciting to hear that what you know is wrong and you're about to learn the truth about something. The thing is, some conspiracy theories do have a kernel of truth in them, like the idea of economic inequality. James Bonet brought up the economy a bunch of times in our interview with him. Everything's based on fraud, like our economic system. That's a Ponzi scheme and is literally based on, on fraud. We know that inequality is fertile ground for conspiracy theories. And in the U.S., the gap between the rich and poor keeps growing. Lots of people are really struggling. So it's not a huge leap for people to feel like the economy is rigged against them. Catherine Olmsted is a professor at the University of California, Davis. She studies the history of conspiracy theories. A lot of ordinary people, working class Americans, have experienced economic downturns. They look for reasons for people to blame. And yes, it's not crazy to think that the U.S. economy and government are not responsive to them. She says it's one thing to be frustrated and angry about the economy and inequality, but some people then make a huge leap and end up believing in elaborate plots, complete with all kinds of characters and cover-ups. So we know conspiracy theories do a few key things. They draw people in with secret knowledge, they appeal to those who feel cheated, and they give them someone to blame. And we know that people find those theories and get more convinced of them by spending a lot of time online, watching videos, listening to podcasts, just consuming a ton of content. There are a lot of far-right anti-government groups out there, and a lot of people engaging with their content online. The internet is a massive space. It's impossible to track all that activity. But state and federal security agencies say it is a top priority. We look at extremist online extremist activity every month. That's Jackie Bray again. She's the commissioner of New York's Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services. New York State, this is not where you want to be in the top, but New York State ranks in the top five across the country of online extremist activity almost every month. Online extremist activities would be engagement with those groups, engagement with those posts. How much chatter, how much commenting do extremist posts get uh, on any given week, on any given month? But here's the thing. Chatter, commenting, it's free speech protected by the First Amendment. So agencies are on the lookout for when that speech crosses a line, turns into action, or even just the threat of action. Charles Keller is a special agent with the FBI based in Albany. The biggest thing that we're looking at is if somebody's intending to commit violence or criminal activity. If someone's looking to do harm and or cause chaos, like a threat to national security related to pushing their ideology, that's where it crosses the line. Keller supervises the Joint Terrorism Task Force that covers upstate New York and Vermont. He says here and across the country, these online spaces are pretty toxic. They vent online and they vent together in groups and it's kind of the echo chamber where they continue to hear the same thing being relayed back to them by the same people that have the same beliefs. And then they want to do something about it. That is what happened on January 6th. People from all around the country formed a mob, broke into a federal building and violently tried to overturn a presidential election. Even people like James Bonet, who are usually on the sidelines. But you get enough people to believe in the same lie, get behind the same goal, and suddenly there's a real threat. 
This is from a video Bonet shot on his cell phone that day, before he went into the Capitol, before things escalated. You can hear there was a real sense of patriotism in the crowd. Bonet posted a lot of his experience on social media. When he got inside the Capitol, he wrote, quote, We made it into the building, bitches. We're taking it back. Bonet was in there for 17 minutes. He filmed himself smoking a joint in the office of Jeff Merkley, a Democratic senator from Oregon. Listen, hindsight's 2020, okay? When I went in there, yeah, I, I may have said some stupid, stupid stuff. He says, sure, he probably shouldn't have walked into the Capitol that day. In fact, he was committing a federal crime. Bonet told us he regrets embarrassing his parents. But sitting on his porch years later, he says he didn't pose a real threat. I wasn't tr- trying to overthrow the government with what, a joint. That doesn't make any sense. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't trying to overthrow anything. But remember what's happening here. Bonet was part of a group that delayed the certification of a presidential election for hours. Some members of Congress hid in their offices. Others were evacuated. Rioters smashed windows and broke through doors. Someone built a noose. People were calling for members of Congress and the vice president to be executed. People are chanting, hang Mike Pence in that video. Four people in the crowd died that day, and several others died after. Bonet says true patriots like him, they were just protesting peacefully. He believes anyone who was violent was only trying to make Trump supporters look bad. They don't even look like Americans. They look, they literally look like they went to the Halloween store and like, let me look like a patriot. They don't even look like real Americans. They look honestly like FBI. Do you have evidence for that? No, it's just what my instinct tells me and I trust my instinct. That's yet another viral conspiracy theory, which the head of the FBI described as ludicrous. A congressional investigation and hundreds of prosecutions found no evidence that the FBI or far-left groups orchestrated the attack. More than a thousand people were arrested for participating in January 6th, including dozens of New Yorkers. People from Watertown, Buffalo, Rochester, Long Island, and New York City— Hundreds of people ended up with prison time nationwide, including James Bonet. He was originally charged with a felony, but he took a deal and pleaded guilty to unlawful entry in a restricted building, a misdemeanor. Bonet says his sentence was a surprise, but he went in thinking of himself as a patriot. During the American Revolutionary War, some of our founding fathers were imprisoned, and I thought... If they could survive that, then I could survive three months or 72 days in prison. So that was my mentality going through it. Do you regret being part of that day, the insurrection? I don't even, I wouldn't even call it, I'm not going to call it an insurrection or give it power like that. But um, no, I don't. Federal officials say more than 100 police officers were injured by the mob on January 6th. Some of them seriously injured. The mob also attacked reporters and photographers. And again, there were threats to assassinate Vice President Pence and other politicians. But Bonet says for him, the experience and going to prison for it was worth it. If you look at the things that have happened to me after, my life has gotten better. Bonet started taking courses at the local college, getting into jujitsu, writing poetry. And he's decided what he wants to do with his life. He wants to be a constitutional lawyer, maybe run for governor someday. 
He says it's all been a learning experience. And now Bonet seems even deeper in his beliefs. We talked to Pete Kurtz-Glovis about all this. He's the extremism researcher from American University. He says it makes sense that Bonet would double down since his conviction. If he gives up those beliefs, then maybe it was all for nothing. But if he holds on to them, then he can remain part of this, this grand narrative that these conspiracy theories kind of construct around us. Bonet says he's even more interested in politics now. And he's thinking a lot about what needs to happen next for the country. I think right now we're going through a process of a deep cleaning. And I think through the other side of it, it's going to be awesome. I think there's going to be a time where we're all going to win and we're not going to stop winning. <laughs> what do you mean by a deep clean? Just like all the corruption is just being exposed. And then from there, we had to just work our way through that. Through voting, through grassroots movements and things like that. We, the people, will take it back peacefully through voting and everything like that. Bonet says America needs to hit rock bottom. And the country needs to have a, quote, near-death experience before things get any better. Even if Bonet says that's a peaceful process, a lot of people are really worried that's not the reality. That another January 6th could happen that people who are radicalized and believe in far-right conspiracy theories will form another mob and commit more violence. Here's Catherine Olmsted again, the historian from UC Davis who studies conspiracy theories. I'm really concerned that we could have an authoritarian take over in the United States. I'm worried that if Trump is elected, that he could decide that he was not going to leave office. If he isn't elected, there could be, again, some sort of uh, violent reaction. So I'm worried about that every single day. Political observers say there are some glimmers of hope, like the 2022 midterm elections, for example. A lot of people were afraid of widespread political violence and disruption, but that didn't happen. We also asked New York's Homeland Security Commissioner Jackie Bray about this, about the possibility of political violence in the next presidential election. Here's what she had to say. Obviously, the fact that we even have to have this conversation in this country, in this day, is heartbreaking and is designed by people who would prefer autocratic and authoritarian government to suppress our vote. And I think New Yorkers won't let that happen. And uh, I'm confident that our elections will be safe this year. But nationwide, there's no doubt that a lot of people are worried about what the future holds. Despite the criminal and civil court cases he's facing, Donald Trump is the leading Republican candidate for president. And he's talked about punishing his enemies and joked about being a dictator. While powerful figures like Trump are driving the narrative, Experts say people like James Bonet also play a critical role here. They're shaping and in some ways threatening the political system, not only believing in lies, but voting and acting on them. So we wanted to ask Bonet what he thinks will happen, and it was pretty dystopian. He thinks there's going to be an internet blackout and military takeover. After all that, he thinks Trump will win, which will kick off World War III. Bonet's reality has been shaped by the media he's consumed over the last few years. It's really changed how he sees the world. 
At the start of our interview, Bonet told us he went down a rabbit hole. So at the end, we ask him a bigger question about his reality, about all of it. What if you're wrong? Like, have you considered the possibility that, like, maybe you've been manipulated? Yeah, I have. I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but that doesn't stop the fact that this whole journey has led me to what I want to do with my life, and I just continue on that path. He said that a bunch of times, in a few different ways. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll admit it, he said. But then he added, I don't think I'm wrong. While Bonet doesn't have a big platform, many other people who share his views do. Politicians, podcasters, sheriffs. And when people with big platforms share conspiracy theories, they can go viral, spread to millions of people like James Bonet. After what happened on January 6, 2021, experts say that wave of radicalization is still a real and dangerous threat. If All Else Fails is hosted, reported, and produced by me, Zach Hirsch, and Emily Russell. Our editor is David Summerstein. Mixing and sound design by Zach Hirsch. We have grant support from Grist and the Center for Rural Strategies. Our theme is called Sunday Lights by One Such Village. Other music in this series from the Blue Dot Sessions. NCPR's station manager is Mitch Tyke. Our digital team is Bill Hanel, Caitlin Kelly, Ethan Shanty, and Doyle Dean. The artwork for our show was designed by Dan Cash. Special thanks to Caroline Dries and Odette Youssef of NPR, the Kiplinger Program at Ohio University, Paul and Ellen Berkheimer, Ben Chug, and everyone who spoke with us for this series. If All Else Fails is a production of North Country Public Radio in partnership with Zach Hirsch in New York. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. They say it helps. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for listening.